today on Act News Daily. My thought would be that this is just Mexico probably trying to negotiate for other things behind closed doors and they're using corn as a way to get what they want or something that they're not actually talking about or telling us, but corn makes a splashier headline to get people to the bargaining table. Welcome back, Ag News Daily listeners, to a Monday, November 28th, post-Thanksgiving Ag News Daily episode sponsored today by Mystic Lubes. For a full look at their top quality products, visit Mystic Lubes. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Tanner, did you have a fantastic Thanksgiving? Yeah, we did. Uh, I had plenty to eat, as always. Uh, we had good weather to deal with. Everything was was really good here in Iowa. How about down there in Florida? Oh, it's super nice here today. I'm sitting looking out at the beach. It's about sunny and 75, so no complaints from me. I think I ate way too much at the multiple Thanksgivings that we have been to now, so I'm going to need a little diet, I think, between Thanksgiving time and Christmas time. (laughs) That sounds like too much work. Just enjoy yourself, and Christmas will be here before you know it. That's true. It really will, Tanner. But... I suppose we better dive into some news here. And avian influenza may have had an impact at the grocery store this year, as we've now seen it reported by the USDA. Fifty and a half million birds have been wiped out this year, making it the country's deadliest outbreak of avian influenza officially, according to data released late last week by the USDA, Tanner. This death includes chickens, turkeys and other poultry uh, and does top the record that we saw back in 2015. Teen, which was also right at about 50 and a half million, but they're saying we've ticked just above that now this year. Yeah, I saw that as well. It looks like they have reported cases in 46 states this year. That's more than double the 21 states that were affected during that 2014 and 15 outbreak. So uh, not a good source of news. Uh, we're not out of the clear yet either as this flu season is getting ready to ramp up. And we know that it is widespread throughout a lot of the states. There are a lot of groups, Delaney, that have been urging Congress all day today to try and get them to take immediate steps to block the potential rail strikes. We all know that the next deadline here is December 5th or 9th. Obviously, if nothing is done by December 5th, a scheduled strike would start on December 9th. More than 400 groups called on Congress to intervene in the labor standoff that threatened to idle shipments. Obviously, this can impact food, fuel, and other goods. This could also push inflation through the roof, as the language was used in this article. Obviously, we don't want to see that. Delaney, a rail traffic stoppage could freeze nearly 30% of the U.S.'s cargo shipments by weight, stoke inflation, and cost the American economy as much as $2 billion per day. So it sounds like a lot of groups, as they should be, are super concerned about this and are working with Congress to hopefully intervene and make sure we can get a deal done in the next week. Which we certainly could use, Tanner, because we're starting to see now the upper Mississippi River is shutting down for the winter. The last tow of 2022 left the upper Mississippi River late last week and made its way south over the Thanksgiving weekend. But traditionally, the last tow departing the St. Paul, Minnesota area and heading south happens this time of year. Following that, we see the 
navigation season ending as the Army Corps of Engineers starts to do their routine winter maintenance and they end shipping for the winter season, Tanner. So there's certainly a lot of work to be done this year. As we know, a lot of barge traffic has been at a standstill due to low river levels. So it'll be interesting to see what the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is able to do during those winter months when things are shut down. Because really, I mean, right now we're not super cold yet, but uh, initially or ideally here, things will get cold enough and won't be able to really do too much work as things are ice cold and frozen over. Yep, frozen solid, exactly. It looks like China is in the news again this morning for a couple or for today for a couple of different reasons. First of all, it looks like world stocks and especially crude oil prices are plummeting today, hitting new lows. There's ongoing concerns about demand coming out of China, the world's second largest economic power. They now have a zero tolerance COVID-19 policy in place that led to protests against the government and the president there. That caused the price of Brent crude oil to be down 1.3% today on the market. It's lowest since January 10th. The West Texas Intermediate, the U.S. benchmark, was down 1.2%, trading at its lowest since December of 2021. So crude oil market definitely seeing some pressure here as there are some economic concerns not including and also not limited to what is going on between Russia and Ukraine. But it seems like the Chinese powerhouse right now economically is what's driving these markets to feel the pressure delay. Yeah, absolutely, Tanner. I'm sure that's going to be a topic of conversation today with Naomi Bloom coming up here during our Market Monday conversation. But another big headline that could have some market impact, maybe not right now, but in the near, in the uh, longer term future, Tanner, is this genetically modified ban that Mexico has decided to place on GM corn, which obviously will largely impact the U.S. Mexican President Andres Lopez made an announcement via Reuters that they will be having a discussion later today on Monday with U.S. Secretary Tom Vilsack to discuss the GM ban that they have in place now, self-imposed GM ban, nonetheless, Tanner, uh, by 2024, which would cause it to have its U.S. imports of yellow corn. Vilsack um, has been apparently trying to get this meeting in the book, Tanner, to ask for clarity on what that ban looks like for the United States, because it could impact, obviously, a large portion of trade we have with them, especially trade required under the U.S. MCA agreement. So sounds like Mexico's president has hinted they would like to discuss food prices and an anti-inflationary plan. And so it sounds like they're going to cover a myriad of topics, Tanner, that I'm sure we will get more information on later today, if not tomorrow. Yeah, we will have to keep our listeners surprised to the updates to that story. Let's pause here quick for a message from our sponsor today. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K-lubes.com. 
Well, Delaney, I was going to come right back with another China-related story, but I'm going to stick to your grain side of things right now. The USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service stated today that they announced their to the Federal Grain Inspection Service that they will propose a rule change seeking public comment on what the U.S. standard is for number one yellow soybean. As you're discussing there, the GM ban on corn crops, they're looking at trying to provide more clarity in the definition for all grades of soybeans, as soybeans now are being bred to have different colors. Green, black, brown, and bicolored seed are also now finding other benefits to the supply chain and don't want to provide any discounted value when they are not classified as number one or even number two yellow soybeans. So it'll be interesting to see if this proposal, after it receives public comment, gets continued to push up the chain to see if we see standards switch for what number one classified soybean is. Does it lose the title, Delaney, yellow soybean? Interesting. I suppose that could maybe be a marketing angle. I'm not sure on that one, Tanner, but interesting group of bedfellows in this next story, because really we haven't seen big oil and ethanol come together when it comes to making decisions on E15 and gasoline, but a group of oil Renewable fuel and farm trade organizations have joined together for the first time to voice support for legislation that would expand nationwide E15 at a higher ethanol gasoline blend, Tanner, according to a letter from the group. These organizations included the American Petroleum Institute, the Renewable Fuels Association, and the National Farmers Union. They wrote a letter to congressional leaders urging them to adopt legislation that we would effectively lift restrictions on E15 sales. And they also said, American Petroleum Institute, that this support is a win for biofuel and farm groups because the oil industry has at times resisted efforts to expand the market for ethanol, but they believe it is the best path forward, Tanner. So interesting piece of news there. Uh, not sure what the next steps would be because I know this year Congress is shifting some of their responsibility over to the president and his cabinet specifically when it comes to the renewable fuel standards. So I don't know if this is something now that has to be voted on by Congress or goes to the president's desk, Tanner. Yeah, I hadn't picked up on what the next steps are yet and what involvement the EPA would have. But it was nice to see that the teasing we did last week about that came to fruition. That letter was actually penned with joint forces. China has its new 26-story pig skyscraper ready and full to capacity. Now capacity could be potentially slaughtering 1 million pigs per year out of this small square footage place on the southern outskirts of a city in central China's province. The giant apartment-style building, Delaney, overlooks their main road. It's not for office workers. It's not for family. It is 26 stories of hogs. The capacity will have up to 1.2 million pigs per year going in and out of that facility. Workers are required to continue to disinfect themselves prior to transporting anything from floor to floor within this building. A lot of new technologies are involved to where feed can water and medication as well as hog removal when death happens to be all done robotically, Delaney. So the goal is to have the least amount of human interaction to therefore hopefully keep the number of infectious diseases out. Of course, we know 
that China has suffered some significant losses to uh, African swine fever. And that is one of the things they're trying to limit is the in and out traffic of both wildlife and animal and humans. So it is quite interesting here in only 800,000 square meters of space. That capacity is going to have 30,000 automatic feeding spots by the click of a button out of a central office. The pictures here in this article, Delaney, are quite fascinating because it does. It looks just like an office building, 26 stories high. There's a lot of, of course, unrest with the residents in the area as they anticipate it coming with a poor odor as things continue to age. But they state the waste will be reused for energy and the water will be recycled for use. So it looks like a pretty sustainable building, large scale at least, but I found it quite fascinating of it looking almost like a hog hotel. Yeah, isn't that interesting, though, that, you know, the biosecurity measures that have to go into place, even floor to floor, I'm curious if, I don't know if this article says it, Tanner, but I'd be curious to know, do you have to shower in on every floor? And is that a common practice in China? Because it certainly is here in the United States. So it was described actually in that article that yes, every floor would have its own staff member monitoring it. But if any staff members were to cross over, it would be extended disinfecting process. So sounds like they would be taking a lot of extra measures. Hmm. Well, that certainly is an interesting story, Tanner. But I tell you what, we've got a couple of quick hits here as far as exports and production go worldwide. Brazil is expecting to see their corn exports jump exponentially next year, they say, if farmers harvest a full crop and Chinese demand remains strong. This is according to Brazil's National Association of Grain Exporters. They said that Brazil is poised to export 40 to 50 million tons of corn next year, boosted by a new trade protocol they've been setting up with China, and they're expecting to see a potentially bumper crop. Tanner, they said they could expect expect exports as much as 5 million tons of corn to China alone in 2023. That's also coming with news that Ukraine has exported about 17 million tons of grain so far for this year, but they're down 31, almost 32 percent compared to years prior, Tanner. So they're certainly not getting things out of the country. And lastly, here as we look at another major competitor of the United States, Argentina's soybean plantings for the 22-23 cycle have been facing some really severe delays the last few days as the country continues to endure a prolonged drought period. So far, Tanner, just 19.5% of the Argentinian crop has been planted. So we will certainly have to see how that shakes out because that could certainly be a market mover as well. That's right. I remember when we first started reporting on Ukraine that they were expecting 15 to 20 percent of their crop exports to happen. So it's good to see that it was only a 35 percent decline Mm -hmm. and they're able to at least get that out. Let's pause one more time for a message from our sponsor today before we get into the market. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K-lubes.com. 
Well, Tanner, we certainly, of course, had the uh, shortened week last week. Markets were closed on Thursday, reopened on Friday morning. And here we are today, Monday morning, with things trading pretty heavily to the upside. December new crop corn ended three quarters of a cent higher today to close at 6.68 and three quarters. January soybeans added 21 pennies today to trade at 14.57 and at the settle here. And December Chicago wheat traded 18 and three quarter cents lower at 7.56 and three quarters, which is interesting, Tanner, because given this uh, first thing opening markets here this morning, probably would have guessed that markets would have closed the opposite. Feeder cattle and live cattle, however, did. December live cattle closed 50 cents lower today at a buck 52.57. January feeders ended at a buck 76.87, down a dollar 42 on the day. And December lean hogs closed right at 80.60, down three dollars and 17 and a half cents today to open up this week. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Naomi Bloom. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, coming off of a holiday week this week, we certainly had some excitement in both grains and livestock today. What's the big headline here that we've been trading? There's been a lot of things going on today. Um, you know, I think the start of it to, to finish like the day here, you know, we've had lower markets all night long because we were worried about the excitement in China as far as the COVID and the protesting that was happening over there. So markets were softer on that. But as the day went on here, you know, we had really strong export inspections for soybeans. So that means that what we've been selling is, you know, leaving the country and and for soybeans, it's using almost every single port available to get those beans out of the country. So that was fantastic. Um, and, and the bean market even finished a little bit through a major resistance area today. So that was encouraging. Corn just continues to hold support, but for, you know, all of last week, it tested support about three different times and held. And although the wheat was strongly lower today, it did come up off the lows and, and it retested the August lows. So to me, it feels like it's trying to find some footing here. Um, overall, I think global demand is going to stay strong. And the fact that the Chinese people are protesting, I think they're really finding a, their voice and saying, we're, we're done being locked down. We want this to end. And bigger picture that, you know, if they can get those lockdowns done sooner, that should help stimulate demand. So um, that along with global weather, I mean, there's just so many factors coming off of a holiday weekend. I don't know which one was more effective or not, but lots of stuff going on, I guess, is just the only way to say it. Yeah, it does. Sounds like a lot of headlines that we looked at today. One of those also is, of course, this looming rail strike. Is that having any pressure in the market or is it kind of already built into where we're sitting right now? I do think it's built into the market for now. Of course, that rail strike, um, I believe like the final deadline is the 8th. And if they strike, it's going to be on the 9th, which, of course, happens to coincide with the USDA report, because why wouldn't it? And um, that could be a market mover. If they can't get that strike figured out and, and negotiation figured out, um, that would be bearish on the market if they actually did strike. But I'm really hopeful that Congress and the president will you know, work with all parties involved just to make sure that that does not happen. You know, Naomi, you mentioned a lot of interesting um, events going on, both geopolitically and then, of course, things that could impact supply and demand here for the markets. Uh, but China and their 
riots and their lockdowns and the back and forth that we keep seeing them go in here. Did that have any impact today on crude's short-term low that we saw? Yeah, absolutely it did. That's why we were lower on the overnight. Um, but if you look at some charts on crude oil, the $75 area is tremendous support for the um, crude oil prices. And once that get down to that level, and, and we got down here about a week ago, um, I think that's just a big buying opportunity. And the fact of the matter is that OPEC is still thinking about actually making cuts to production. And with the war, of course, with Ukraine, Russia, there's just so much uncertainty in the world. And so I know that, you know, Europe would say we're going to put a cap on, um, you know, the cost of, of Russian crude oil or we're not going to buy Russian energy. All these types of things are out there. But you know, at the end of the day, demand is demand. And so you can tell someone you're not going to buy their product, but if you, <laughs> if you've got demand for it, you're, there's not much you can do about it. You got to pay what you got to pay. So, um, I think crude oil has the ability to work higher. I think that come April or May, we'll easily see $100 crude oil again. And, um, I think with all the demand I saw on the roads this weekend with people driving all over the place, that crude oil has plenty of ability to work higher yet for prices. And what do you see that having to do with ethanol? We reported on an article uh, today and last week about some interesting partnerships amongst corporate entities pushing for year-round E15. Does crude play affect into something like that getting passed or market volatility? Well, it definitely um, is, of course, as you know, tied with ethanol, corn, and even the soybean oil is now tied in a sense with energy markets too. And my overall thought is, you know, if, if crude oil is working higher, that should keep corn prices working higher as well, as long as we don't see a back off on demand for corn use for ethanol. And the fact that they're trying to do the year-round ethanol for the bigger picture just continues to be a supportive story for the right now. And so uh, corn prices, I think, have the ability still to work higher into the new year. We don't have a reason to last higher, but I don't think that prices would fall apart because if we do see prices fall lower, all that's going to do is stimulate more demand. And right now we're just at this um, nice equilibrium point that prices are very fair valued where they are right now on the board. And I think local cash markets are, are showing where there's, of course, deficit areas and I think it's also going to be showing where, you know, we're going to see end users like ethanol plants need to bid up as we go into 2022 because the demand is there. And I think it's going to stay there. Naomi, the other thing that really could have an impact on demand, maybe not right now in the short term, but in the long term, could be this ban that Mexico has decided to self-impose on genetically modified corn. I know we've got their president and USDA secretary today, I think, are having a meeting to discuss that path forward. But is that something that producers need to be thinking and worried about now? Um, I'm going to say no, because um, what I was reading is that uh, Me Mexico will use the GMO corn for animal feed. And at the end of the day, I don't know how they think they're going to be able to find enough non-GMO to feed their people, because that would mean that the seed production has to be there now and it's not. So, you know, it would have to be, um, you know, demand for seed for the next year to meet the following year. And we just don't 
I don't think have that much seed available for non-GMO. And I don't really think that other countries around the world are going to be able to supply it to them. It might be something where they over time, maybe into 2025 or 26, try to increase the non-GMO, but it's nothing that we can meet that expectation right away. I think my thought would be that this is just Mexico probably trying to negotiate for other things behind closed doors and they're using corn as a way to get what they want for something that they're not actually talking about or telling us, but corn makes a splashier headline to get people to the bargaining table. So I just want to flip out of crops and jump over to the livestock side of things, specifically cattle. Uh, Rabo's research division had sent out their quarterly report. Uh, I believe it was this morning that we had reported on. It looks like there's still some strong demand on the beef side of things, but yet we saw a little bit of a, a fall off coming out of the weekend. Is that kind of what you're seeing? Some continued demand and maybe some price strengthening on the live cattle side of things? Yep. As long as people are working, I'm still bullish on cattle. Beef demand is strong. Global beef demand is strong. We did see this that pullback here. I think more of it had to do with um, position squaring into the holiday weekend. And then also, um, technically, if you look at a chart, we had gotten up to resistance areas, didn't have a reason to go blasting through it higher. So having a little bit of a pullback. Um, but ultimately, you know, because we have so much less cattle coming available into 2023 that is supportive for the market and people are going to still be buying beef they're going to be buying hamburgers they maybe pull back on the amount of higher quality cuts that they would be buying but you don't really have a substitute i mean really for beef there isn't a substitute you know maybe instead of a pound and a half of hamburger to use in spaghetti you pull it back to a pound but again as long as people are working and have jobs they're going to be paying for the beef and our export sales for 2022, um, we are at 986,000 tons as of the most recent USDA weekly export sale. And that's down from only just a million tons a year ago. This is the second highest on record ever for this time of year. So we are exporting plenty of beef. We have buyers in South Korea, China, Japan. Um, so the, the demand is strong everywhere. And I think any pullback you see on cattle is probably a buying opportunity. And Naomi, that's interesting, though, that you keep mentioning if we have jobs, because the other thing that's looming over us here really is this maybe potential or impending recession that we that we see. How much demand do you think we see drop off if we do head into a recession where we see a lot of folks getting laid off or getting furloughed or having a lot of job turnover, higher uh, unemployment rates? Yeah, and I'm, I guess I'm not totally sure. You know, I, I thought back to like the recession in 2008 and nine, you know, trying to think back just to my local community and, and what people were doing. And I think you definitely see some kind of a pullback, but I also remember people then um, going, instead of being able to go out to eat, then it was, you were excited to go to McDonald's and go to the drive through and get a hamburger and that kind of a thing. So I don't know how, you know, again, if it's, if it's the higher cuts of beef and the higher quality cuts that we see the demand pull back on, but maybe just ground beef um, demand stays unchanged. And I don't know how to qualify that. I just, it's something that's in the back of my mind. And that would be, in my opinion, at this time, the only thing that maybe would be like a wild card to reduce the demand, but I can't put my finger on a specific amount at this time. Absolutely. That could be something that we're going to continue to monitor. Obviously, we have been keeping an eye on the Fed's 
rate hikes and what that does for economic markers. But for our listeners today, if they want to follow you or get in contact with you a lot more and learn from you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, feel free to follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Naomi Bloom, and that's B-L-O-H-M. Or feel free to give us a call at Total Farm Marketing. The number is 800-334-9779. Happy to have a visit with you. Awesome. Thank you again for hanging out with us today and sharing your great insight on the markets. Thanks for having me. Well, Delaney, do you know what I am still bullish on? What are you still bullish on, Tanner? Tell us. I think the price of concrete is still bullish. I don't know if I have not paid that close attention, but as we were recording today, I think there's been over a hundred concrete trucks run by the window of my office. So it seems like demand, at least here in central Iowa, is still pretty strong on the building side of things. Well, they don't have a, they don't have a futures market for that, but I'm sure if they did, that would be pretty good to tell us what was going on there. Uh, yeah, we just gauge that based upon the number of trucks that drive past my window, right? That's good. I'm good with that if you are. That could be the, the Monday report. I'll have to keep all of our listeners tuned in. But what do you say for today? Should we let them go? Let's let them go.